Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Oh, is there anybody in this place this morning that loves Jesus? Has anyone come ready to rally this morning? Yeah. The few, the proud. I'm not talking about the Marines. I'm talking about those of you that chose to come to a 10 a.m. service on New Year's Day. Why don't you give yourself a round of applause real quick? My name is Pastor Charlie Hughes, and I would like to be the first to congratulate you on your perfect church attendance for the new year. I'm proud of you. Let's keep it up. Let's uh, keep this streak going and be saying the same thing at the end of the year, right? Right? So for those of you that may not know who I am, they only uh, ordained me as a pastor like a few weeks ago. And for a thank you. And for selfish reasons, I'm really excited to get into the Word of God this morning because this is the first sermon that I've written as an ordained pastor. And I'll tell you what, like I'm feeling a different type of, of just excitement and energy. And, and yeah, I, I wrote this sermon by myself, but I don't feel like preaching it by myself this morning. So can we preach together on this New Year's Day? Oh, look to the person who's sitting next to you and tell them, I came to preach with this man this morning. Oh, I can't wait to preach with you. I really can't. I really, really can't. I, I've been praying for you all week long, and I'm believing that this word is going to speak to you in a, in a deep place. And if it doesn't, just look at me after the service and lie to me and tell me that it did. So, <laughs> so for many years, what you need to know is the people of Israel were led directly by God. But the nation of Israel began to desire a king. So the prophet Samuel was told by God to appoint a young man named Saul to become the first king of Israel. God selected Saul, and the people of Israel loved Saul because he was tall and handsome. But over time, Saul allowed his concern for what the people of Israel thought of him to become more important to him than being obedient to God. So naturally, because Saul no longer trusted God enough to be led by him, God can no longer trust Saul to lead his people. And this devastated the prophet Samuel. It absolutely broke his heart. And we see in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 1, you can turn on your Bibles if you have the Version app, or you can take out your Bibles if you're over the age of 30. It, uh, it reads this. I've got jokes this morning. They're not good, but I have jokes. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but who knows? The Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. 
Verse 9, then Jesse had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you got? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down. We will not eat. We will not sleep until he arrives. So verse 12, Jesse sent for his youngest son and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Yeah. David. Yeah, um, that David. Like David from David and Goliath. You ever heard of him? Like David the giant slayer. Like David the psalmist. Like David, maybe the greatest king in the history of Israel, David. Like David, the great, 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 multiple greats over grandfather of Jesus Christ himself. Yeah, that David. Look at the person who's sitting next to him and tell him, yeah, that David. And now look at the other person who's sitting next to him and tell them the title of this sermon like you came up with it yourself. Tell them the title of this sermon is God Does Not Do Second Best. God does not do second best. I want to preach this morning to someone who feels like in this last year, they lost something. And as a result of this, you are now fearful that the future will not be good as the past. It is my prayer and my hope that in the time we have left together, that I can get in your head, in your heart, in your spirit, in your innermost being, that God does not do second best. If you feel as if something left your life in this last year, despite your best efforts to keep it around, and now as a result of this, you are believing that what lies ahead of you is going to be worse than what you had, I want you to hear me and understand when I say, God does not do second best. If you are under the sound of my voice and you feel and believe as if you are now watching someone else live your best life from the sideline because they possess what you once called yours. I want you to hear me and listen to me when I say, do not be afraid, do not be worried, do not fret, do not be confused, do not be frustrated because God does not do second best. Do not be deceived by the lies of the enemy. If the enemy cannot destroy you, he will do the best he can to distract you by so romanticizing the memory of what left you that you will not care to look towards all that God has for you. But I've come with some good news for you this morning on this New Year's Day. God does not do second best. Saul served a purpose the years he faithfully and obediently led Israel 
as their king. God did not want Saul's disobedience to disqualify him. But when this happened, God was not scared. God was not surprised. God was not confused. God was not taken back. God was not thrown for a loop. Make no mistake. Saul was God's plan A. But so was David. God knew there was a young boy sitting in a shepherd's field who would eventually sit on the throne. God knew there was a young boy being prepped to become a warrior king by killing lions and bears. God knew that there was a young boy in the house of Jesse who would eventually mature into a man after God's own heart. Because God does not do second best. If I could be so rude. If I can get in a little bit of trouble real quick to ask you, was what left you really that great anyways? You're right. Like, I know it filled your schedule, but did it fill your soul? I know they gave you attention, but did they make you better? I know it gave you something to do and somewhere to grow, somewhere to go, but did it help you grow? I understand it was fun. I get it felt nice. I'm sure the moment in the spotlight you received from it or because of it made you feel special, but was it really that great? Was the connection of pleasure it bought you for a moment with the pain it caused you when it left you? The peace it stole from you as you tried your hardest to hold on to it, but it persisted to slip away. The pressure it put on you to be perfect and perform in order for it to remain in your life only to emphasize your flaws and exaggerate your insecurities cause you to feel and believe as if you were less than what it is that you truly are. Was it really that great? In 2022, I probably averaged a flight a year, a month, excuse me, between friends' weddings and different ministry events that I was either attending or preaching at, I was on the go all year long. So I like to think that in 2022, I kind of figured traveling out, like at least flying out of Fort Lauderdale. So now every time I fly, it's my goal to spend as little time at the airport as possible while being as stressed as little as possible. Can anyone relate to that? And any, any people like to, to cut to the last minute? Just me. Okay, cool. For this reason, because I'm this way, I like to only travel with a carry-on. I hate the time wasted and the stress caused that goes in to checking a bag. I do not enjoy getting to the airport early to have to check my bag. And I definitely do not enjoy every time after a flight when I'm standing at a baggage claim wondering, did my bag make it? I think that's like the worst feeling ever. But when I pack in a carry-on, I have to be conservative when I pack. I have to decide and determine what from my closet can come with me because there's only room in my bag for what is essential to make the trip. For where God wants to take you in this new year, you do not need the extra weight and baggage of what is left you. God knows where he wants to take you. God knows what you need in order to get there, and God knows what you need once you arrive. The 
extra weight and baggage of what is left you that you're trying to take with you to all that God is for you will only continue to make you sad, stress you out, and make you worry. If God in all his wisdom let walk away from you what would only weigh you down, then why would you work to regain it? In asking you to let go of what is left you, God is assisting you in shedding out of every area of your life, every unnecessary piece of baggage, because God knows that last season's blessing can become a trap and a graveyard for your future. Could it be that God has not placed value where we have? Whereas we long for what is left, the Lord is overjoyed with what remains. I know what left you was comfortable. I know what left you was pleasurable. I know what left you is what was most familiar to you, but I've come with an announcement this New Year's Day for every single person who feels like they lost something in this last year. In this new year, in 2023, God is going to accomplish bigger and better in your life, not by using what has left, but by using what is left. Your miracle is never in what has left. Your breakthrough is never in what has left. Your blessing is never in what has left. It is always in what is left. It is what is left that God is going to use to bring blessing. It is what is left that God is going to use to break chains. It is what is left that God is going to use to slay giants. It is what is left that God is going to use to make your name great. It is what is left that God is going to use to heal your heart. It is what is left that God is going to use to redeem your past. It is what is left that God is going to use to restore your peace. It is what is left that God is going to use to prove his power in your life. You feel like you lost because of what you lost, but the fact of the matter is you haven't lost because God never once lost sight of you. I think if anything, this New Year's Day, you should congratulate yourself on your victory because whether you realize it or not, in 2022, you broke free from what would have broke you if it would have stuck with you any longer. So I think for just a moment, we should look back on this last year with some 2023 vision and thank God that although the enemy tried to break your soul by trying to deceive you into believing that what left you was the end of you because you now know that God does not do second best, then all you have must be all you need. What is left must be the only necessary equipment for the next leg of your journey. What remains must be what God is going to use to make the devil pay reparations for all the pain he caused you. If you're down to just a handful of dirt, that's all God needs to make a man out of you. If you're down to two fish and five loaves, that's all God needs to provide for you and all who look to you for nourishment. If like the woman in the Old Testament, you can be down to your last jar of oil, there is still time for God to create more capacity within you for you to experience increase. So this morning, I do not want to lament what is left. I don't want to mourn the past. I don't want to sob and cry over the good old days. I want to get excited about the future because God does not do second best. Is there anybody awake in this church this morning who knows that to be true? But every new beginning necessitates that something comes to an end. Some of you have been committed to a fault. And I know why. 
you're like me. It makes more sense to you to hold on to what you've already invested so much into. So much of your time, your energy, your resources, but you cannot receive God's divine direction to your destiny if you remain determined to reclaim what is left. Do not let how much you have invested keep you trying to hold on to the past to get a worthwhile return on your investment. Instead, decide that you are not going to waste another second on or give another ounce of your energy to what has already stolen too much of your time, too much of your joy, too much of your energy, and too much of your peace. I think Romans 12, 2 says it better. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. This world does not know better. This world does not know better. Some of you are going to get that next week. This world does not know better. That is why it is the pattern of this world to settle for second best. This world will continually and consistently, unknowingly settle for second best in the forms of sin, substance, stupidity, and sexuality because it does not know that God's better is worth it, possible, or forthcoming. People will settle for temporary highs because they are not aware that permanent healing is possible. People will settle for momentary satisfaction because they are not aware that everlasting fulfillment exists. People will settle for simple pleasures because they are not aware that a significant purpose is attainable. This world will settle for second best because it is not aware, it does not know, it is ignorant to the fact that God's better is a viable option for its life. And this breaks my heart. This is why I do what I do. This is why I got into the Jesus business because it's my life's mission to let people know there's another way. This doesn't have to be all there is for you. God has so much more in store for you than this. Let, let me show you. Let me help you. Let me point you in the right direction, but I cannot help you if after I share this truth with you, if your prayers and your patterns still don't align. Like you can pray all you want for the floodgates of heaven to be unleashed in your life. But if you are still conforming to the pattern of this world by chasing what has left you and doing when you want, what you want, and how you want, there is not much God can or will do for you. Like if you're asking God to bless what is left with you, but at the same time, you're chasing what is left you, the Lord will refuse to bless what remains. God will not put future blessing in your hand if the bondage of your past still has your heart. Oh, somebody missed it. I'm going to say it one more time. God will not put future blessing in your hand if the bondage of your past still has your heart. If in this new year, you want to experience God's better for your life. You must no longer conform to the pattern of this world by no longer chasing what has left you. You must stop chasing what has left. You must move with the mentality that as something in your life has the potential and the power to take you an inch away from Jesus, 
then you want it miles away from you. You must eliminate the temptation. I'm sure, like many of you in this new year, I want to get in the best shape of my life. I want to have some muscular biceps and a shredded six-pack. Is there anybody else that, who's going to get in the gym this new year? Let's go. I'll see you guys there tomorrow. But the dilemma is I have a sweet tooth, especially at night. Is there anybody else that has a sweet tooth? You find yourself in this tension. So knowing this about myself, if I want to reach my goals, it probably wouldn't be wise of me to keep Ben and Jerry's chocolate fudge brownie ice cream in my freezer. Because I know late at night when my sweet tooth, my appetite has more influence and control over my decision making than my discipline and my reason does, it's going to be nearly impossible for me to not give in. Why make living in God's better for your life harder than it needs to be? Knowing what your greatest weaknesses are, choose to distance yourself from what will only encourage you to settle for second best and chase what has left you. What numbers do you need to delete out your phone? What people do you need to unfollow on Instagram? What websites do you need to block? What places do you need to pretend in your mind no longer exists? God's better for your life will only become a possibility for you when you eliminate, erase, and eradicate temptation that will only encourage you to settle for second best. But how many know that even sometimes despite our best efforts at avoiding it, there are times when temptation comes to us. And this is not when we're like, Wave, when we should wave the white flag and be like, oh no, because I got to give into it. No, this is when we need to exercise self-control. It seems to me that self-control is the forgotten fruit of the Spirit. I think we would all agree that a godly person is someone who does things like promote kindness and preaches peace, but Galatians 5 actually tells us that not only will be able to know that someone has a strong relationship with God based on the things that they do, but based on the things that they have the strength and restraint to not do. I like to categorize self-control as a discipline that breeds freedom. Discipline and freedom have an inseparable relationship. And former Navy SEAL and best-selling author Jocko Willink, a pretty disciplined dude, he says it this way. He says, while discipline and freedom seem like they sit on opposite sides of the spectrum, they're actually very connected. Freedom is what everyone wants, to be able to act and live with freedom. But the only way to get to a place of freedom is through discipline. If you want financial freedom, you have to have financial discipline. If you want more free time, you have to follow a more disciplined time management system. You also have to have the discipline to say no to things that will only eat up your time with no payback. Discipline equals freedom, applies to every aspect of life. If you want more freedom, get more discipline. It's pretty good, isn't it? Self-control 
is the discipline of saying no when your no is rooted in conviction and guided by scripture. There's kind of this stigma in our culture that surrounds self-control because at first glance and at surface level, all self-control seems to be is an unnecessary practice of discipline that deprives us of immediate gratification. But I would argue that if you would approach self-control not through the lens of what does this act of discipline do for my next 20 minutes, but my next 20 years, you would discover that by denying yourself of a small immediate gratification now, you would get to experience a later greater gratification further down the road. Self-control is what frees us from what would temporarily thrill us, but ultimately disappoint us so we can live in the fulfillment that only God can give us. And remember, you can have the strength to say no to temptation because you are smart enough to know that God's better is coming. So as you stop chasing what has left by eliminating temptation and exercising self-control, you can get excited about the future because God does not do second best. Alternate translation. God is not going to allow your past to outdo his plan for your life. So despite how great you might think the past was, it's not going to outdo your future. So you know what you can actually do? You can use how great you think what left you was, serve as encouragement and as an indication of how amazing the future must be. When you understand that God's better is coming, settling for second best just doesn't even make sense anymore. Chasing what is left begins to sound like such a waste of time. Conforming to the pattern of this world begins to sound like such child's play. What left you might have robbed you of your peace. It does not have to rob you of your purpose too. Let the assurance you have that God's better has your name on it give you the strength and the faith that you need to stop chasing what has already left you. God's better is coming. God's better is coming. God's better is coming. God's better is coming because God does not do second best. What this means is your success was not final. Your failure was not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. So stop letting a punch turn into a knockout. Stop letting a bad day turn into a bad week. Stop letting an uncharacteristic circumstance define your overall character. Stop putting periods where God has only placed a comma. What left you was not the end of you. It was the beginning of you becoming free enough to live in the joy, the purpose, the peace, the plan, the promise, the blessing, and the breakthrough that only God can give you. Who in this room knows that God does not do second best? Is anybody starting to believe it this morning? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Stop chasing what has left. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Start utilizing 
what is left. Neuroplasticity. It's a big word. Are you impressed? <laughs> Neuroplasticity. It is the scientific and neurological term for the biblically renewed mind. And I did some research on neuroplasticity as I was getting ready to deliver this sermon. And I learned this. Prepare to be amazed. It is the brain's ability to restructure itself after training and practice by creating new neural pathways. Neuroplasticity is what makes personal growth, change, and transformation possible. It is a scientifically proven fact. The more we practice something, the more we strengthen the pathways and the easier the skill becomes. But not only this, old neural pathways that we are no longer using become a road less traveled in our minds. As we practice pursuing the presence of God by reading scripture, praying continuously, attending church like there's nowhere else to go, our minds will be renewed. We will create new neural pathways. But not only this, old patterns that we have that we built around what has left us will be dismantled and unable to govern our renewed minds that are fixed and focused on what is left with us that God is going to use. But it's weird though, isn't it? Although it left you in this last year, left your side a long time ago, it has not left your mind, has it? What left you has kept a tight grip on your thoughts and a stubborn hold on your heart. Robbing you of your joy and stealing your peace. But I think in 2023, things can be different for you. I think this can be the year that you reclaim your joy and repossess your peace by stop chasing what has left you and start utilizing what has stuck with you. For some of you, what you need to start utilizing is pretty obvious. Like if you're here and recently you've been offered two jobs and one job offer got pulled, I think it's safe to say the job offer that's left is the one you need to accept. I think that is what is left in your life that you need to begin stewarding and being faithful with and using that God is going to bless. But I don't want to be insensitive to those of you this morning who feel like last year did not leave you with much of anything. You're taking inventory and you believe you have le less than what you've ever had before. I think this year has left you with more than you realize. If this is you and you feel like 2022 did not leave you with much of anything, I think you may have now found yourself in a Matthew 7, 7 situation. And what a beautiful place this is to be. Matthew 7, 7 reads, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. I think at the very least this last year has left you with new prayers to pray new questions to seek answers to, and a new reason, a new drive, a new motive to be where God is. Ask 
obviously what left you is not what God had for you. I think in this new year, you just start asking God through prayer about what it is that he has for you. Get real with God. Ask him, Lord, where is it? What do I need to do? What changes do I need to make? What adjustments in my lifestyle need to take place in order for me to experience it and live it and make it mine? Seek. I think in this new year, you should make a discipline and a daily habit out of scouring scripture until what is confusing becomes clear. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The word of God is not fantasy. And it does not have to be just history. It can be your reality. If you want to hear the audible voice of God in this new year, in your life, you might just need to open up your Bible and start reading it out loud. The answers from God that you desire to the questions you have are waiting to be discovered. And they might be just one turn of a page away. Knock. You cannot knock on someone's door unless you go to where they physically are. Like, I cannot knock on your neighbor's door and expect you to answer, right? That's how that works. What I'm trying to say is, if you want to have a life-changing, eye-opening, revelation-imparting encounter with God in this new year that will change everything for you, you gotta be where God is like never before. God's address is no mystery. Where God resides is no secret. God's location is public information. Do you want to know where God lives? Do you want to know where God lives? Do you want to know where God lives? He lives here. He lives here. This is his house, his church. He dwells among his people. Scripture makes a promise that wherever two or three or more gather together in the name of the Lord, there he will be with them. I believe that in this new year, if you would choose to involve yourself in this church like never before, by getting in a life group, by serving, by doing everything you can to not miss a weekend, you will see the hand of God at work and involved in your life like never before. As you continually ask God through prayer, consistently seek God in scripture, and unceasingly knock on God's door by being where he is. Your mind will be renewed. Your taste for what has left you will have to leave your mouth and your mind's obsession will become to start utilizing what is left you so you can experience nothing less than God's best in your life. We all have a move that we need to make in this new year. For some, it's to stop chasing what has left. For others, it's to start utilizing what is. And I wanna be real with you. It's probably not gonna be easy. The move that you need to make is most likely going to come with this fair share of difficulty, but my friend, it will be worth it. This is why I want to leave you with this. As you stop chasing what has left, you begin to utilize what is left. There'll be moments, there'll be times you feel like giving up, quitting, stopping short because it will seem and feel as if nothing is growing, nothing is moving, nothing is progressing. But do not allow frustration keep you from being faithful and cause you to forget that God does not do second best. Now, God's best may look differently than how you would expect it to. If I can give you the most extreme example, maybe 
You have a loved one who's been sick. Maybe you have sickness or pain in your own body. God's best might look like ultimate healing that can only be found on the other side of eternity. But hear me, if things are not better than they've ever been before, and you've stopped utilizing what has left, and you've begun to utilize what is, if things are not looking good, then it must not be the end. It cannot be the end. It can, it will, it must get better from here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is. It's his will. It's his will, meaning God will be the one who will make his will come to pass in your life. This is why it will happen. This is why it has to happen. This is why it must happen. In Paris, France, it's where the Louvre Art Museum is, probably the most famous art museum in the world. And in the Louvre is this painting called Checkmate. The painting has a man sitting on one side of the table and he has his hand on his face like this in desperation. Sitting on the other side of the table is the devil and the devil is laughing and mocking the man and in between them is a chessboard. One day, many years ago, there was a group of world athletes taking a tour of the Louvre, particularly world champions. And on this tour was the world champion chess player at the time, the grandmaster chess player of the world. I know what some of you are thinking. Chess is not a sport. Stick with me, we're going somewhere. So they're on this tour and the tour walks past. They stop at this painting called Checkmate. And the tour guide explains, this is an artist's rendering of a man who lost a battle with the devil. The tour moves on to another painting or two and the tour guide notices that they're down a person, someone is missing. The world champion chess player, where'd he go? They go back to find him. They find him standing in front of this painting called, Checks, called Checkmate, looking intently. The tour guide asks him, sir, we moved on. Would you like to rejoin the group? The world champion chess player said, I've been staring at this painting. Tour guy said, yeah, um, it's called Checkmate. Devil's laughing. The man's lost. The world champion chess player said, yeah, I noticed that, but I've been staring at this painting. It, I, I have a problem. The tour guy asked him, what's that? He said, well, you know, I'm a world champion chess player and I spent my life playing chess and normal people can't always see what a world champion chess player can see he said I have a problem the tour guide asked him what's your problem he said well you know I'm a world champion chess player and my problem is either they're gonna have to change the painting or they're gonna have to change the name. The tour guide asked, now why would they have to do something as ridiculous as that? And the man answered him, well, you know, I'm a world champion chess player. And I looked at the devil laughing 
and I looked at the man in desperation. And then I took another look at the chessboard. And based on my expert opinion, based on my calculations, based on my observation, the king still has one more move. I've come to tell someone this New Year's Day, it might seem like you've been cornered. It might seem like you've been backed up against the wall. It might seem like everything you loved has left you, that everything's gone and nothing's got any hope. But I want you to know this morning, the king still has one more move. Everything's not gone. You've been left with more than you know. I'm telling you this morning, the king still has one more move. God does not do second best. You don't have to chase what is left you. You can utilize what remains. You don't have to conform to the power of this world because God does not do second best. The king still has one more move over your finances. The king still has one more move over your family. The king still has one more move over your body. The king still has one more move over your marriage. It is not over because God does not do second best. Is there anybody in this place that believes that? Make some noise for Jesus. It is not over. It is not over. It is not over. I don't know what you went through in this last year. I don't know what you feel and believe as if you lost. But if you believe that this word was for you, I just want to invite you in this moment to get a little vulnerable by raising a hand. I would just love the opportunity to pray for you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for every single hand that is raised. God, you know what these raised hands represent. So God, right now we're raising our hands and surrender. We're giving you every question. We're giving you every worry. We're giving you every fear. And God, we're praying that you would, you would just give us joy again. God, stir up faith. God, build our trust. And God, I pray, Lord, as we stop chasing what has left in an act of repentance, and we begin to utilize what is, that Lord, you would do what only you can do in our lives. And God, we know that will be nothing less than the best because you don't know how to do second best. The one thing you are incapable of doing is failing us. So God, have your way in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray together. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.